Amen. That's wonderful, children. Aunt Alex. That's good. Amen. You know, a bunch of children singing it's Aunt Alex. Amen. You know, praise God. It's the children and daddy. Amen. Wonderful. When I was their age, I was singing Kumbaya and trying to, trying to, trying to handle that. And they go, it is well with my soul. Amen. Thank God for the challenge. I'm going to have to turn it up when I sing and sing something a little more difficult. Amen. Wonderful job. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 14, then flip over to Luke chapter 22. We're going to continue the message I began this morning. And I do not apologize for preaching so long because uh, we need it. The tragedy of denial. Folks, thank God for the Lord's uh, forgiveness and thank God for the Lord's restoration and thank God we can realize that as a Christian, um, failure is not final. We can get back up, and God gives us a second chance, third chance, fourth chance, 15th chance. He just gives us a lot of chances, amen? And there's no excuse to quit and uh, keep on sinning. We saw his conversion this morning because he had a brother named Andrew. We saw his call to service. I'm talking about Peter um, when he was called not just become a fisher of men, but to be called um, a fisher, uh, I mean a fisher of fish, but a fisher of man. And his name was changed to Cephas, which means a stone or solid. Amen. And he wasn't too solid when he denied the Lord three times and swore by God's name that he did not know him, a double lie. Then we see the contact he had with Jesus. Um, walking on the water, that's pretty close. Um, he was uh, revealed to him. The Lord was revealed to him as Jesus, the Son of God. And upon this rock, we'll establish our church he said. And then, of course, the Mount of Transfiguration. So this man walked with God. And then the commission of a great sin we preached on this morning, but I want to continue uh, the series tonight, or the passage in Mark chapter 14, and I want you to look at verse 72. Let's stand on the Word of God. And the second time the cock crew, and Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said to him. I want you to realize, folks, it's not in vain to be in church every time you get a chance. Matter of fact, to make the chance. Because the Word of God might save you in the moment of temptation. It says, before the cock crew twice, thou shalt deny me trice. He remembered what Jesus said. He remembered the Word of God. And here's the passage for tonight, and I'll elaborate a little bit on Luke chapter 22. It says, and when he thought thereon, he wept. When he thought thereon, he wept. The word he wept means literally, <clears throat> the two words means he broke down. I don't know if it bothers you to sin or not, but it ought to bother you a lot. Because it sure bothers God. And it bothers the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be honest with God enough to realize that we've sinned and admit it, confess it. And be man enough or lady enough to forsake it and repent. And so I want to preach tonight, not only on Peter and his rejection, but I want to preach on Peter and his restoration and thank God his remorse. It's called repentance or conviction. You ought to thank God for conviction tonight. Let's be seated as I pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of preaching. Thank you, God, for this passage of Scripture on Peter. 
And God, thank you, dear God, that uh, the Word of God is so inspired, it shows us the downsettings and also the upsettings of, of um, all these men of God, the scars and the stars, uh, the, the bad times and the good times. And Lord, I know that's why the Word of God is so inspired. It shows the uh, failure so we won't make the same failure. It also shows us, dear God, the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace and the love of the Savior. And Lord, please touch our hearts and help us to rejoice in conviction, but also, Lord, help us to rejoice in forgiveness. And we'll praise you and thank you for what you do in through this message. In Jesus' name, amen. I won't go over the whole thing like I did this morning, but he had many times, even an hour, to think about the third denial. I'll prove that in Scripture in just a minute. But he kept on sinning, and it got worse, and he feared for his life. He didn't fear God, he feared for his life, and he openly cursed and denied the Lord, and the Bible says in Matthew 26, it was literally an oath that he lied about the lie. He said, I want to swear by God I do not know him. And uh, in other words, his life was on the line. God could have killed him, but God spared him. Aren't you glad God didn't kill you when you backslid? Amen. Maybe we all deserve it, but I want to tell you something. God's merciful. And I want you to see that uh, he, he committed a great sin. And that great sin was that he walked with sinners, and then he uh, not only walked with sinners, but he, but he uh, stood with sinners. He warmed by the fire, uh, denied the Lord, denied even knowing the Lord. Uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 71 says, but he began to curse and swear, saying, I know not this man. And then the Bible says in Luke chapter 22, if you'll turn there, he sat with sinners. Does that remind you of a verse? Psalms 1-1. Blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinners, nor sitteth in the way of the seat of the scornful. It's a digression. We start out walking, and then we, we, we sit, and then we stand in the seat of the scornful, and literally uh, start making fun of the things of God and scorning the things of God, and uh, we just derail, but we, before we do that, we de-evolve into something we never thought we'd be. And so, folks, the Bible warns us in Psalms chapter 1, just literally, that uh, it's, a, it's, it's gradual. It's not back-leaping, it's backsliding. We need to understand that. We need to understand that we need to nip uh, sin in the prayer. And we need to not neglect the private life. And, the, and, and we need to realize the only way to be blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. We live in a very scornful world. We live in a very skeptical world. We live in a very cynical, sin-sick world. That if, uh, it seems like that, it's almost like this. They want you to sin because they're sinning. Misery loves company. And folks, listen, they're down in the gully and they want you to be down in the gully of sin. They, their marriage is ruined, so they want your marriage to be ruined. Uh, their life is sad and blue and they want you sad and blue. I don't know if it would make them feel better or what, but it's, uh, it's ungodly. It's attack from hell. The Bible says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night, Psalms 1-2. 
Folks, the greatest remedy as I preach this morning for not sitting and standing um, and walking with sinners is walk with God. Delight in the law of the Lord. You know, if you don't delight being here, you ought to slap yourself and wake up. No, if you don't delight in being in God's house, something's wrong with your heart. You've already backslidden publicly, and I guarantee you, you'll backslide publicly. I mean, if you, you've already backslidden privately, you will backslide publicly. When your heart gets cold, your heart gets vulnerable. When you stop praying, the shield goes down and is laid on the ground, and the darts, fiery darts of hell, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, 17, will hit you right in the heart. So don't you take this for granted. And don't you take your little... Uh, Bible study for granted. It ain't little. It's God's word. Don't take your prayer time for granted. And folks, that was one reason that Peter um, backslid so terribly is that he went to sleep when he should have been praying. And then look at verse 3 of Psalms 1. It says, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Planted. I'll get to Luke chapter 22 in a minute. And it says that he bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaves shall not wither. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. But the ungodly are not so, but are like chaff which the wind driveth away. You know what that means? Driven. Like a puppet of hell. Just the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life just drives you to live beneath your God-given privilege as a child of God full of the Spirit. Look at verse 5. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment of sinners or in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And I believe that can be applied to the ungodly saint. As I said, I believe the sin that Peter committed was worse than Judas's sin. You say, how could it be? Because sinners sin. But saints ought to live for God. And I believe that uh, sinners are expected to do what they do, and that's sin. Lost people sin. That's just their nature. That's just their heart. But a saved person should not be caught denying Christ and swearing by God's name that they never knew Him. And so I want, you to, I, want to, I want to preach just two simple points to conclude the message of this morning. I want you to see His conviction. His conviction. Folks, you ought to thank God for conviction. Thank God the Holy Spirit convicts you when you're wrong. And a lot of people are never convicted because they're not saved. They're just not really saved. They're good church members. They're maybe... Uh, Maybe I'm a disciple, but they're not saved. <coughs> they, they, they attend all the time, but they're not saved because sin never bothers them. Uh, the Bible says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. When you don't have peace, you can be sure it's not God's will. Amen. <coughs> but you have peace about living in sin and going off into the world's lust. You better check up and see if you're saved. I love this verses in chapter uh, uh, Luke chapter 22. In verse 31, the Bible says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you. Look at it, Luke 22, 31. That he may sift you as wheat. Now listen to this. What was he trying to do? He says, But I have prayed for thee, the Lord's prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, and that's not salvation, that's being getting right with God, strengthen thy brethren. And boy, did he do that. Two books in the Bible. That we'll go over in just a minute. And so folks, number one, if you want to break, get under Holy Ghost conviction and get out of your selfishness and your sin and your pride and your vain glory, 
then you need to remember the word of the Lord. You need to remember what you was taught. The word of God, if I hid in my heart, then I might not sin against thee. It's a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Folks, listen. God help us to realize and take heed to the wonderful grace that's greater than all our sin. The word of God is described in Hebrews chapter 4 as a sharp sword. And that sword is literally a dividing asunder of our intents and our motivations. It's like a surgeon's knife. It's not like a sharp sword that you will at the devil. It's like a sword that is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, that divides and penetrates and pierces and convicts. And you need all the Word of God you can to be under conviction. Just don't come to church for about two or three months or slide in here about 15 minutes late, never come to Sunday school, never come back on Sunday night, Never come back on Wednesday night, and I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. You're going to turn the alarm system down on zero, and the thief's going to come in and ravage your life. But if you come to the house of God, and you listen, and you apply, and you take to heart, and you respond, you turn it up to nine. And praise God, that thief can come around, and it'll just be like an alarm system. Hallelujah. I mean, it'll be... It'll go off resounding. I want that, don't you? I want to be alarmed at sin. I want to be aware of what the devil's trying to do and tripping me up. And folks, I see in Luke chapter 22 now, in verse 61, another thing that, he, that happened to him that Mark doesn't mention. Look at chapter 22, verse 61. Luke chapter 22, verse 61. Verse 55 says, he sat down among them. 61 says this, and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. The Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept, and he had, adds a, uh, Luke adds a word because he's a doctor so he's a little more detailed than Mark. He said he wept bitterly. Bitterly. Does sin bother you? I will tell you what ought to bother you. The look of the Lord. I want to say this. I want to say it clearly. You're in trouble if the look of the Lord doesn't bother you. That's the fear of God. What is the fear of God? It's knowing that God knows right what, you, what you're doing. God knows right where you're at, and God knows if you're denying the Lord. He knows it. He knows your attitude. He knows how much you read your Bible this week. He knows if you got anything out of it. Now, please try to stay awake. The air condition is broke again. I can't help it. But slap yourself. Drink some water. Take some Dr. Mountain Dew. Do something. Amen. Just stay in here. Amen. Encourage the preacher at least. I just want to say this. The fear of the Lord is he knows... And he knows everything. He knows our thoughts. He knows our attitudes. He knows our actions. He knows our reactions. And one day we'll give account of that. That's the fear of God. And so the fear of God can be summed up in one word. Conviction. Conviction. I believe in Holy Ghost conviction, don't you? I believe that God convicts you when you sin. And if he don't, you've done... You've done got backslidden hard, calloused, you got wax in your spiritual ears, and you're not listening. 
Because I believe with all my heart the Holy Ghost is your resident convictor. And he convicts of righteousness. Oh, by the way, John 17, verse 16, verse 9, righteousness and judgment. Uh, that was preached and taught to Peter just a few days before this. John 14, 15, 16, 17. Then he just prayed the Lord's Prayer in 17. So he just heard it, that the Holy Spirit would come and he'd be the convictor. And so I want you to know, folks, that one of the greatest things that happened to Peter is he remembered the Lord. While he was warming by that fire, get the picture now, He's with the wrong company, the people that don't honor God, the enemies of God. He's warming by the fire. He was below the palace, so it must have been an open balcony where they were displaying Jesus, beaten, spit, putting a sack over his head probably and hitting him and saying, if you're Christ, tell me who hit you. One day he will tell them. Somehow, some way, Peter could see that, hear that, feel that, and he looked up, and Jesus looked at him. That's what the Bible says. And the Lord looked at him. I don't know if there was spittle still on his face. I didn't know if there's blood dripping down his face. I don't know if he was bruised and battered, as the Bible says in Isaiah 52, he was beat beyond recognition. But the look of Jesus at Peter convicted him and he remembered the word of the Lord. What am I saying? I don't believe it was a look of, of hate. I don't believe it was a look of judgment. I don't believe, I know it wasn't, it wasn't a look of hate. It was a look of love. But at the same time, I believe and all of you have been hurt by people that love you. It was a look of hurt. Hurt. Does it bother you to hurt the name of God? Does it bother you to realize that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and you still sin? Folks, sin should be exceedingly sinful. And you ought to be convicted of the look of grace, the look of mercy. The look of regret. The look of disappointment. I don't want to disappoint anyone. But I definitely don't want to disappoint the one that took the spittle and the beating and the cursing and the cross and took my sin and let it be poured on his account. I don't want to disappoint him. But I want to get to the last point. There's hope after conviction, and there's hope after conversion, and that means repentance and getting right with God, because I see the consecration in the later life of Peter. The very next day after Peter had denied the Lord, Jesus died on the cross. Think about that. The very next day. And is this the end of the story? Well, let me just say, Paul Harvey, page two, here's the rest of the story. Most likely for three days, Peter wept and he wondered, had Jesus forgiven him? Does Jesus still love me? Does Jesus still care? Am I on the shelf? Am I finished? And on Sunday, after the resurrection, 
or after their death on the cross, Jesus arose from the dead. And I want you to see what he said in Mark 16, verse 7. Mark 16, verse 7. Turn there with me, please. Mark 16, verse 7. Don't you love to study the characters of the Bible? And they're not escapee from the wax museum. These were real people, just like you. Look at this. It says in chapter 7, so he said, um, after he, re- he rose from the dead, he said, but go your way, because he said to them, be not afraid, frightened. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified, verse 6. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way. Listen to this now. And tell his disciples, say the next two words with me, and Peter, that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him as he said unto you. Thank God for those two words and Peter. The angel relayed the message from the Lord. He said, hey, tell the disciples and Peter. You know what he was saying to Peter? I still love you. I still got a plan for your life. I'll still forgive you. And then he shows up sometime later and he meets Jesus on the shore. John chapter 21. Look at it. John chapter 21. You know the story, they caught nothing all night. And then the Lord, I think it was John that recognized, it is the Lord. He was excited that the Lord was on the shore. And Peter didn't try to walk on the water this time in the flesh. But he cast himself into the sea, verse 7, John chapter 21. The other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but there were 200 cubits dragging in the net with fish because they cast on the other side. And listen to this now. This is a wonderful verse. Verse 9, John 21. And soon then as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid upon their own and bread. What do you think might have went through Peter's mind when they saw the fire of coals? Well, I'll answer that scripturally. If you'll turn back to John 18, verse 18, you'll see probably what went through Peter's mind. Verse 18 says, and the servant and the officers, John 18, verse 18. He says, and the servants and the officers stood there who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold. And they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. When he got on the shore, soaking wet, dove in, they just caught a bunch of fish, 153 I believe. A lot of them, they couldn't even drag the nets in. He saw some coals of fire and probably said, this is it. I've had it. He remembers the time I warmed my hands with the enemy, that I was compromising with the world, and I was denying and cussing that I even knew the Lord, and he saw those coals of fire, but it was a different coals of fire because the next verse, Jesus looks at him and says, bring of the fish which ye have now caught. And Simon Peter went and drew the net to the land full of Great fish, 153, yes, and all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. And Jesus said to them, including Peter, come and dine. And none of the disciples just asked him, who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord. You don't, he didn't have a Zep Code 33. He commanded those fish to jump up on that coals of fire and cook medium well fish for those lukewarm disciples. And look at this. Jesus then cometh and taking the bread and giveth them and the fish thereof. And now is the third time. 
that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. After that, he was risen from the dead. Look at verse 15. And so when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Maybe pointing to the fish, the nets, the fishermen. He said to him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Now why would he say that after denying him three times? But he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he said to him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said to him, Feed my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said to him, Lord, thou knowest all things, and thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. And then in verse 18, he predicts that he'll die as a martyr. Historians say that Peter was so close to God, he refused to be crucified upside, uh, upright like Jesus, and he was crucified upside down on the cross. Now, folks, I want to just say this. He denied Jesus three times publicly, but he was reinstated three times publicly. I believe when you get robbed of God, you ought to make it public. You earned your testimony public. You ought, to get, you ought to get right with God public, especially to your church. And so 50 days later, a great crowd gathered in Jerusalem. And I want to tell you what happened. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Peter is in the upper room. And he's praying, not sleeping, praying with supplication. Upper room Christianity. Then Acts chapter 2, what happens? He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's filled to such a great degree that he gets up and preaches in the power and rebukes all the Jews and says, you crucified him. Or you, you, you put him on the cross. You nailed him to the cross. Your sins nailed him to the cross. But praise God, three days later, up from the grave he arose. And he preached with power. 3,000 people were saved. God wasn't finished with him yet. Folks, here's the lesson. The Holy Spirit came to Peter and filled him to overflowing. And he became a leader of the church, Acts chapter 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Acts chapter 12, he's on death row. He's in jail. They're going to kill him. But prayer was made of the church without ceasing. God opened up the gates and he went to the prayer meeting, knocked on the door and they said, the little girl answered the door, I think her name was Rhoda, Rhonda, or whoever. Maybe Rose, I don't know. But anyway, and they said, you're mad, you're crazy girl. They're just praying for him to get out of jail. They're just praying for him to be delivered. And folks, I'm just going to say this and I'm going to say it closely. The Holy Spirit makes a difference. And the Holy Spirit can use you after you fail terribly. He preached the gospel. 3,000 were saved. He's delivered from death row. Praise God. I'm going to tell you something. The infinite grace of God touched Peter's life. The look of love, the look of grace. You say, well, do you think he learned anything? I know he did. Turn to his books, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. In about 10 minutes, I want to give you what he learned out of 1 Peter and 2 Peter. You think he really got it? Well, folks, he got it so much, he, the Holy Ghost recorded it in these two epistles for us to find some hope. First of all, I believe he learned and he writes about pride. Pride. Read it, write it down. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 and 6. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 and 6. Look at it. The Bible says, Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves to the elders. 
Well, we wish you'd have submitted on that night. Yea, all you that are subject one to another, be clothed with what? Humility. No, Lord, they'll forsake you. They'll deny you, but I'll die for you. Now he's learned a lesson. He said, hey, listen, God resists the proud. Underline it. Verse 5, chapter 5 of 1 Peter. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Look at verse 6. Humble yourself, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. He starts writing about pride. Then he writes about disobedience. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. 1 Peter 1, 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto what? Obedience and sprinkle of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. What a way to start a book. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. You think he learned something? He learned something so much he, he wrote it down. 1 Peter 3, 1. Likewise, you wives, being subject to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Wives, you've got a powerful tablet called your life to your backslidden husband. You've got a powerful testimony to your lost husband. Don't give up. Just shine and obey and submit. Chapter 4, verse 17. He wrote about obedience again. Chapter 4, verse uh, verse 17 the Bible says for the time has come that judgment must begin in the house of God and if any, and if any uh, first begin at us what shall the end, of, end be of them that obey not the gospel of God he said, he said he said what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God he learned a lesson he obeyed not so now he's writing about it. You better obey. Third of all, I see prayerlessness. He starts writing about prayerlessness. You remember that's what threw him for a loop when he went to sleep and didn't pray. And he realized that he'd missed the power of God, the peace of God, and the will of God and fell terribly. Look at 1 Peter 4, 7. 1 Peter 4, 7. But the end of, t uh, the end of all things is at hand. Amen. How many believe that? Be therefore sober. That means serious. Don't mean Stop drinking, but you ought to do that too if you're drinking. It says, be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. He's right about it because he learned the lesson the hard way. He didn't watch, he didn't pray, he went to sleep. Then he denied and cussed, acted like he was a heathen. He wrote about compromise. Look at 1 Peter 3, 15. He learned about compromise. Watch out that crowd you hang around with. They don't honor God. You shouldn't be around them. You shouldn't, that shouldn't be, if your best friend is not interested in God, you've got the wrong best friend. Hey, I'm going to tell you something, friend. You are a product of who you hang around with and what you read. And what you ought to do is hang around God and read His Word. Amen. And you ought to like church. Some of y'all smile on the second row. You ought to like church. Amen. Look at this. First, they do. They wouldn't be sitting up here. Look at this. Where am I at? Compromise. 1 Peter 3.15. 1 Peter 3.15. Y'all like this study? I love it. It says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you. Listen to this. 
with meekness and fear. Meekness is not weakness. It's just not thinking of yourself. It's not thinking down on yourself. It's just not thinking of yourself. Peter, that's all he's thinking about is himself. How can I get out of this fix? Let me act like the world. Maybe I can be accepted by the world. And folks, the Bible says, let us always give an answer. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. You can deny Jesus doctrinally. You can deny Jesus by delinquency, by not being faithful. You can deny Jesus with words. You can deny Jesus without being diligent, not faithful. Compromise. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. 2 Peter 3, 17. Let's go to 2 Peter just for a second. 3, 17. The Bible says this. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know that these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. He said, don't compromise. I did. I know the price. I know how horrible it was. I know that I almost lost my testimony forever. But God picked me up. God reinstated me. God helped me on that cold night when I was trying to fish and caught nothing. And brought me to the shore of the fire of God's love. He wrote about pride. He wrote about disobedience. He wrote about prayerlessness. He wrote about compromise. But let me give you one more thing. We'll close. I promise you I'd be brief tonight. And all of you are about to die at 72 degrees and you feel like it's, you know, you're close to the doorstep of hell, but you're not. Amen? We're a spoiled generation. Say amen. I got a coat on and I'm preaching with high blood pressure. Hallelujah. Miss, Miss uh, Teresa's back there with a sweater, comfortable as she could ever be. Amen. <laughs> Can't please everybody, but praise God. Take your coat off if you're real hot. But I want you to see diligence. I looked up some synonyms for diligence this afternoon while I was studying. I want to be diligent, don't you? I want to be faithful. 1 Peter 5, 8. 1 Peter 5, 8. I might have read that when I shouldn't have, but I, I'm, I'm going to, I want you to look at it. 1 Peter 5, 8. The Bible says, be sober. That means serious. you to be serious about this thing called Christianity, about your testimony. And here it is. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, listen to this now, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith. Hallelujah. I think he learned his lesson, don't you? And I believe you ought to learn your lesson if you ever backslide and deny Jesus. You ought to get up with a lot of faith and grace and, and diligence. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. It'll be the last verse I read. 2 Peter, unless the Lord lays something else on my heart. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Here it is. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. What things? Godliness, brother kindness, brother, all these virtues, divine nature, Yielding to the divine nature, verse 4. He says, you won't fall. He said, I fell. I learned the hard way. And I want to give you this. Be diligent. I looked up the word diligent this afternoon. I love word studies, don't you? It means alertness. Some of y'all don't think it'll ever happen to you. Some of you don't think your marriage will ever fall apart. Some of you think that uh, you're going to marry Mr. Perfect. 
you don't watch it, you'll marry in a horrible situation. And you could take the testimony of some of these ladies sitting in this room. It'll be hell on this earth if you marry out of the will of God. It'll be heartache and pain and agony. Don't settle. Don't settle. And so you ought to be alert to God's will. And then it means carefulness. It says give all diligence. That means be careful. He is a roaring lion. Then you ought to be constant. That's what, that's what diligent means, constant. That means every day in your Bible, every day in prayer, every day. It means keenness. You ought to be aware of how the devil's working. You ought to feel your heart slipping. You ought to feel the calluses on your spiritual heart. You ought to feel yourself going through the motions of being in this service. Slipping in and slipping out. And you ought to fall on your face and say, Dear God, I need you. And I want to worship you. You've been good to me. It means attentiveness. Attentiveness. I see people dating in church. I see people texting in church. I see people sleeping in church. I pour my heart into every sermon, many, many hours. I expect you to listen. I think a teacher expects you to listen to math. God help you. Have to go through a math class. Biology. Good gracious. What good is that? I guess it's good to know it's a creator. Amen. I don't know. But even a teacher, say amen, Brother Derek. You expect some attention, some respect when you teach. Miss Faith, amen. You expect them to listen. You expect them to nod and come back up. You expect them to show up to school. Say amen right there. And boy, if they don't, you have to get on them. You have to discipline them. You have to send them to special ed class. You ever been there? Don't raise your hand. Most of you deserve to be there. I mean, the special one-on-one -on -one class. You know, that's, that's for the guy that won't listen in the class. Go on, go to the office. They'll put you in school after church. Or what, I mean, whatever it is, amen. Attentiveness. Folks, I'm going to say this. We're in a warfare we ain't got time to play. I'm going to tell you something. We're in boot camp. They're trying to instruct you how to use the sword. And if you just show up, you might get killed on the battlefield. Serious. It's serious. All you military people say amen. You know it's serious going through those classes. Serious taking that gun apart and putting it back together. Serious. Serious. Sober. Friend, thank God, attentive. And then last but not least, diligent means intentness. Intentionless, intentional, on purpose. It means enthusiastic. I, I, I'm just not showing up to, to get my paycheck tonight. I'm not showing up to give you some lecture because it's my duty as a pastor. I want to be intent on this message. I want to be enthusiastic about it. I want to give my all to it. I want to, I want to encourage you. I want, to, I want you to be restored. I want you to repent. I want you to become usable again. And the only way to do that is learn the same lesson that Peter learned. You need God every minute of the day. Father, use the message. Thank you, God. I know the people are hot, and I apologize for that. Can't do a thing about it. But God, I thank you for the warm coals of your forgiveness and
I thank you for the admonition to feed your lambs and I thank you for the purpose of the ministry. And that's first to be and before we do and to live before we try to help everybody else live. And God, I pray we wouldn't be judgmental and look down on people that backslid, but God, we'd have the look of love, look of grace, look of mercy. I'm not talking about tolerating sin. Sin is hateful, it's despicable, it's wicked, it's ungodly, it's selfish. It glorifies the devil and wrecks people's hearts. But God, you still love the sinner. And we ought to do the same thing. God help us. God help us to learn the lessons Peter learned about praying and watching, about diligence. Oh, about being consistent and faithful. Oh, Lord, about being like you. God, thank you that Peter learned it so well about his prayerlessness and disobedience and compromise that got him in so much trouble and shamed the name of God and shamed him, shamed the disciples. God, that he wrote about it. And it's the book of diligence. And it's the book of hope. First and second Peter. Folks, help us. Help us, God. Realize the devil's trying to devastate this church. He's trying to divide families. He's trying to cause children to desert. And he's trying to destroy our testimony. May we never forget the lesson that Peter learned, the lessons to watch and to pray. To watch. With every head bowed, every eye closed.